0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Word with Dave Clay. There's an old adage, you are what you eat. (laughs) i would change that a bit. You are what you sleep. Uh, And, of course, sleeping is important. And sometimes the correlation between those two things, eating and sleeping, not only are they basic human drives necessarily for survival, maintenance of the body, but depending on what you had the night before, it might really interfere with what you're able to do in terms of sleep, uh, so that the next day, uh, you may really see what you ate and how it might impact uh, who you are. Psychology Today, April of 2022, A New Approach to Late-Life Depression. Treating insomnia could help stave off depression in older adults. Depression affects more than 10% of adults 60 and older. Its consequences range far beyond low mood and can include a heightened risk of cognitive decline and increased likelihood of suicide. Heartening new research, however, suggests that proactively treating insomnia a common comorbidity could help ward off depression in this vulnerable population the study published in jama, JAMA psychiatry recruited adults aged 60 or older who had been diagnosed with insomnia but not depression in the prior year they were randomly assigned to 2 months of either cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia cbt Dash I, a treatment incorporating sleep hygiene techniques, cognitive therapy, and relaxation training, or sleep education therapy, SET, which teaches sleep hygiene but does not utilize cognitive or behavioral approaches. Treatment occurred in weekly 120-minute group sessions. Participants were followed for up to 36 months afterward. Those treated with CBT-I were nearly 60% less likely to experience a depressive episode during follow-up than those in the SET group. They were also significantly more likely to have their insomnia go into remission. The benefits increased over the follow-up period, a notable advantage over medications which tend to lose efficacy with time. The study, combined with past research, underscores that CBT-I can be delivered effectively in a group or via telemedicine, either of which could help reach underserved groups, including those over 60. Preventative medicine doesn't always get the attention it deserves, but this study suggests that a proactive approach could help adults, older adults, sleep better, feel better, and experience a better quality of life. The author, Jennifer Reed, MD, A New Approach to Late Life Depression, Treating Insomnia Could Help Stave Off Depression in Older Adults, Psychology Today, April of 2022. Indigestion aside, (laughs) sleep is incredibly important. Uh, There's much that takes place in sleep that has to do with a lot of good things when it comes to your body, uh, all of which are inclined to not only help in context of maintenance, optimal best functioning of the body, but also in that same way, preventative, preventative Uh, When we look at human operations, it's kind of interesting, (laughs) because all the things that we do when we're awake, as opposed to sleep, is sort of paralleled (laughs) in sleep. Uh, It's just, in sleep, our eyes are closed, and we probably don't get the chance to maybe shut off or shut out all the data that is coming in over the course of any given day in conscious sort of context or awareness, terms of awareness, which probably makes it difficult to keep up, I would think, with this notion of maintenance and prevention, if what that has to do with is processing. Now, on a physiological level, it doesn't require much cognitive or psychological operation. It's just pretty basic. And sleep attends to that too. Uh, it can help take in, again, food. <laughs> Hopefully it won't create indigestion. And good food. So you will be eating all sorts of empty calories, what we used to call junk food. Uh, good for nutrition. Uh, and with that then those basic bodily operations. The parasympathetic nervous system assists in that, or aids in that, in that most of that good stuff, meeting of primary drives, occurs when the neurotransmitters that are associated with parasympathetic operation, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, GABA, endorphins, are being released. Uh, You eat better, you sleep better, and in the end, the prevention side, that's maintenance, in the end, the prevention side is the autoimmune system functions much, much better. Uh, Aside from any sort of predisposing congenital sort of conditions uh, that would have compromised it or some sort of a, a disease process that might compromise it. In a general sort of way, that's the way the body is supposed to work. We're supposed to have more eating, sleeping, good digestion, rest, and uh, with that, then not be so upset or be up all night. Now, what keeps you up? It would be the sympathetic nervous system, norepinephrine and adrenaline, and with that, the need, the requirement of paying attention. I don't want to make it so simplistic as to say, uh, the sympathetic nervous system paying attention, norepinephrine and adrenaline is all about turning things on. But it is about turning on our conscious awareness. Now, the paradox, however, is that we have subconscious awareness or brain activity that, again, parallels that of conscious awareness. It's just that when you're sleeping, and that's when that occurs, the parallel of sleep and awake But when you're sleeping, you're not consciously attending to the external world, the environment. Or even if it's some sort of internal condition, uh, you're not going to likely pay attention to it in quite the same way. Now, of course, the adaptive benefit to the conscious mind is there are legitimately threats. And with that, you have to be somewhat attentive or on guard, or you might get caught up in one of them to your great disadvantage, even demise. But when you're sleeping, hopefully it's safe and secure, and the threats are at least reduced enough Or with that, as there would not be any sort of registry of threat, the norepinephrine and adrenaline would not be flowing throughout your body, and the sympathetic nervous system would take a break, and with that then you would be able to peaceably so kind of synthesize all that happens during any given day. You could do that during the day, you don't have to be asleep, but once again, there's a lot competing with that. As the data continues to come in, as you continue to experience things moment by moment throughout your day, it tends to create a bit of a backlog. And if I might continue that analogy, when you go to sleep at night, that's when all that gets properly processed and with that then somewhat stored or cataloged. Now, it is necessary to have at least some consciousness, even when we're talking about the parasympathetic operations. Sleep is just one aspect of it. But even then, the consciousness that we have when that system is predominant uh, is... That kind of thinking—that's very rational and reasoned and logical and problem-solving oriented. The uh, <laughs> and adrenaline, the sympathetic nervous system, is emotional thinking. It's just entirely fight or flight, and it's again a bit of an on-off proposition. But it's maybe more so on in terms of excitability, and then that's sort of mediated so that you're <laughs> not in some frenzy or hysterical state all the time. And really, though you have thoughts, they're really not the type of thoughts that helps you to figure things out, to bring resolution, to complete what is an imperative then of emotional and, couple that with thinking, cognitive processes. In some ways, it's also this great opportunity to reconcile our daily experiences historically Uh, as in a present context and maybe even some projecting that in the future with who we are. Uh, it's like start with something and add to it and establish precedent. And, you know, we have this kind of running sense of identity we call personality, uh, running as in a continuous sort of, I guess, narrative. That's the best way to put it of who we are. And we have to incorporate our daily experiences, what happens to us, some more significant, others not as significant, but it's all important. And that level of reconciliation, not only is in terms of cataloging memories, but all those memories, and they go into the paradigm, the narrative, the identity. So, it's really, really important. <laughs> you wake up one morning and you just don't know who you are, that would be very disturbing. And then where you are, even, uh, so that you would not have any sort of memories, uh, it's counter-adaptive, maladaptive, counter to our adaptability. If you don't have some sort of a, a memory of, uh, or familiarity, possibly that's a better way to describe that, with where you are and what's going on in that immediate kind of environmental context, uh, it's almost like learning everything all over again. And how hard <laughs> would that be? I would think (laughs) most of us don't experience that, but any who have had any sort of brush with lost consciousness or a moment in their life where that was disrupted in the way that I described it, you could probably identify with that. Who am I and where am I and what in the world is going on? So this idea, though, of emotional cognitive processing, it occurs all the time, 24 hours a day but it occurs most optimally or best, possibly, when you're sleeping. Uh, It keeps your body not only functioning well in physical context by turning off the excitability, allowing all those restorative properties of the parasympathetic to kick in, but if it really does assist you then with the idea or the notion of thinking clearly and rationally and reasoned, then you're going to be less likely to tax the system. And what does it look like to overload the system? All this information backlogged, not really get a chance to properly process it. You're going to have emotional (laughs) symptoms, evidence of disorder that you're going to have to contend with. That's when the anxiety turns to a bit more, uh, progressively so, more or worsening. Uh, type of symptoms, which can include depression and even, to some extent, psychoses. So within a 24-hour period or whatever you might estimate the, the rhythm would be, the normal sleep-wake cycle would be, uh, some estimate it's a little longer than 24 hours, you probably <laughs> are going to experience wakefulness, consciousness, and then need for some degree of sleep, and though some conscious awareness, not enough, (laughs) maybe recalling a dream now and then, or uh, in some ways uh, having brushes with awareness of what actually is being thought or processed uh, when you're dreaming or as you're laying in bed, and maybe you're going in and out of these various what I'm going to categorize or at least help you to conceptualize stages of sleep, uh, a person really then kind of keeps the, the, the balance, uh, keeps the ledger balanced uh, and that sense of reconciliation. And if they do a good job of it, then that's going to represent ideally health in some optimal, again, adaptive sort of way. So with sleep, there is indeed, again, as with this idea of a parallel process, a lot of brain and physical activity going on. <laughs> uh, there are actually, many would say, four or five stages of sleep. The first three are N1, 2, and 3, and the N stands for non-REM sleep. Uh, Those are the initial stages that you pass through. Most of those stages are representative of more the physiological or the physical restoration uh, of the body. And of course, even in sleep, the body continues to function. It doesn't stop functioning. But when we recognize the role once more of the parasympathetic nervous system, all of that is being directed toward, with sleep, the ability to take a moment, to turn off all the excitement, uh, to allow really just that, the parasympathetic, to kick in. And uh, with that, not only maintenance, as I described it earlier in the podcast, but prevention, The fourth stage of sleep, and that once more would be toward the end of your sleep period or cycle uh, daily. So early on, you go through in one, two, and three, non-REM, and then just about the time or getting closer to the time of awakening is when REM really becomes active. Uh, There are many, and there's much in the way of research, many who take that research and uh, uh, would otherwise interpret it as that REM is so essential that you could without proper REM, if the sleep cycle becomes disrupted, for instance, if you don't go into REM sleep for whatever reason, and this is sequential and it's, it's one of those programmable things the body just does, but with deprivation of REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, uh, and that's what REM stands for, Uh, then not only are we going to (laughs) possibly suffer deficits or evidence, as with symptoms, anxiety, depression, of uh, some deficit in emotional and cognitive processing, which is once more correlated with good mental or psychological health, as well as restoration, uh, prevention, uh, long-term. But if a person isn't able to access REM sleep, there may even be this thing called a rebound effect where (laughs) though we could define all this in terms of segments of time, uh, when you go sleep deprived, there's more REM activity and it doesn't take nearly as long to pass through the N1, 2, and 3 stage till you get to the REM sleep And the presumption, again, the interpretation of that research and data by many is that that's just not only how important REM is, but that's suggestive then that REM is really, really sleep and then rapid eye movement sleep is really, really, truly important in terms of cognitive and emotional processing. Uh, managing your daily input of experience, your emotional reaction as well as your, your cognitive, your thinking, your paradigm, your narrative. Again, that once more, that idea of reconciliation sort of reaction so that not only do we keep the ledger balanced, but nothing backlogs, nothing's carried forward to the next day. And with that, you get the proper balance, of excitability, and then all of the other things that are necessary in that way of maintaining that excitability when it is necessary. Uh, The parasympathetic operation supports the sympathetic in that way. But both are just crucial to good health. (laughs) And as I like to say on the podcast, good health and good mental health. So, if you're not able to process in sleep and then for whatever reason the norepinephrine and adrenaline certainly during the conscious aspect the non-sleeping is also preemptive of processing you're going to have difficulties oh (laughs) before we get into those i'm going to remind you our podcast listener you're listening to word with dave clay so this article getting back to the article A new approach to late-life depression seems to suggest, then, that sleep, and particularly REM sleep, is very, very important to staving off depression, if not also then to making some sort of correction. (laughs) If you've not processed it the way that you need to emotionally and cognitively, REM sleep is important to not only on a daily basis adaptive functioning, but REM sleep is the way to kind of catch back up if it is backlogged. But all of this is contingent upon turning off the norepinephrine and adrenaline. Unfortunately that's another one of those correlations. Too much of the sympathetic nervous system operation, too much norepinephrine and adrenaline, And the parasympathetic can't kick in or will not stay on or function in the right ratio or balance. And why do I say ratio or balance there? Because it's called the homeostatic response. But when one's on, the other's off. And in some sort of a common sense way, that should make all the sense of the world. Because if you're excited, you need to be really slowed down by digestion or the energy that's necessary to digest food. You don't need to be slowed down by an inability to concentrate or pay attention or going into some sort of condition of sleep where you lose conscious awareness. It's survival Uh, And your body is not going to really do much in the way of restoration. It's going to put all its energy in just to, in just, again, to this notion of survival, uh, escape or defeating whatever the threat is. So the study, or at least the article, as it speaks to the study, suggests that cognitive behavior therapy facilitates then... (laughs) Not only is it correlated with disruptions in sleep, as with insomnia, but it facilitates in some measure or way one's ability to regain sleep or to make up for whatever's been missed in the way of emotional and cognitive processing. The presumption would therein be because, how do we know that? Because people who get that in combination with uh, this sleep education Uh, as the article described it, uh, are more apt to not only overcome their insomnia, but also less likely to experience depression. It mitigates and lessens the risk factors. And once more, that gets back to prevention. Doing this, allowing this to happen, all of these things that we've discussed in the podcast today, on a physical and psychological level, the parallel process, all of that takes place in sleep, but it shuts out in sleep, it shuts out so much the additional input that really it gives the person opportunity to focus or localize the energy toward that end of catching up with what's happened during the day. That's again, somewhat simplistic in the presentation, but I think it's generally true or factual. What we experience during the day, we process best at night. Now, that doesn't mean you can't do that during the day. And, And certainly everyone should take some time during the day to think about and address and realize the need to sort of encourage in any way that they might consciously be able to resting taking a moment to get a breath to do some self-care maybe some meditation any and all of these things represent then when we're a cognitive behavioral therapy talk to talk to people Help Allow them to help you process, and should you need even additional assistance, go see a cognitive behavior therapist or someone who does the psychological counseling, especially if it has, for whatever reason, gotten backlogged or the threats persisted and you've not really been able to attend to it the way you need to, taking that extra, making that extra effort, taking that extra time to do that, in conscious awareness helps. But should you not? And then should it start to interfere with your body's ability to even keep up with or maintain some sense of currency in terms of sleep? Or should the neuropronofin and adrenaline, the excitability in itself, somewhat be preemptive of your sleeping? As sleep goes down, as the non-REM and the REM sleep cycle gets disrupted, as your sleep is not... A deep sleep, which would be sort of predecessor to the activity of the brain, that rapid eye movement sleep, and the brain is very, very active during rapid eye movement. Uh, it's also the physiology is also active during the N1, two, and three, but not the brain as much as it would be during REM, which kind of again looks a lot like conscious awareness if you were to measure that. But at the same time, you're not awake, and so the conscious awareness is shut off. But the processing continues. That's why I describe it as parallel. It's happening all the time. It just happens, again, better when we're asleep. But should norepinephrine and adrenaline be preemptive of you getting into good processing while you're awake, it's going to probably also run the risk of interfering with your body shutting down to get to the right place, the cycle, moving through all the pre- preliminary stages of sleep to the more predominant, in context of today's podcast, REM sleep. And it sort of feeds on itself. It's synergistic and maybe not such the good way. Uh, The more norepinephrine and adrenaline, the more the stress, the more the excitability, the more difficult it is to sleep, the more difficult it is to sleep, the more difficult it would be to move through the stages of sleep. And though exhaustion may actually bring you to non-REM 1, 2, and 3, it still may be only enough because REM doesn't kick in or your sleep cycle is disrupted by worry and anxiety. You're laying in bed, thinking about things. You can't get to sleep, or if you get to sleep, you're awakened. Middle insomnia is what we call it. Uh, Primary insomnia, I have a hard time falling asleep. Terminal insomnia is when you really don't sleep, or if you sleep at all, you don't get the rim-rebound sleep. It's toward the, again, terminal toward the end of the sleep cycle. So to correct that, you can take medicine, as the article points out, but it doesn't even work as well as cognitive behavior therapy combined with SET, sleep education therapy, so that the person then is working in conscious context to facilitate what happens in N- sleeping subconscious or not conscious sort of context to the end or the same end of emotional and cognitive processing. Um, <laughs> another way possibly to look at this is there it's always going on again maybe it's not so much parallel it's always going on it's one and the same but The parallel would be the conscious versus the sleeping or the not being conscious or conscious awareness being absent during sleep. But you need the process. So processing in intentioned ways when you have the choice to do that helps. Talking to a therapist can help. But if you're doing that properly then you're getting good sleep. You keep that from backlogging. You're going to be able to turn off the norepinephrine and adrenaline. And should you not and should it have interrupted your sleep cycle in the way we've described, then you definitely want to do whatever you can in conscious sort of terms to work on the problems, to work through the emotions, to work through the thoughts, to solve, to remove the threat to put it in proper perspective, to make the reconciliation, as once more we described earlier in the podcast, needed not only on an immediate day-by-day basis, but even long-term in terms of the context of who you are as a person, what this speaks about you and your life and your life experiences, and whether you see the world in a safe, secure, possibly way, or maybe because norepinephrine and adrenaline's gotten its best of you because there's been other threats or a predomination of threat in your life, you may not see it so safe. You may not turn it off, be able to turn it off so easily. It may legitimately be that you have to be on guard or hypervigilant all the time. But all that's going to do is just wear you out and, uh, once more, interfere with this maintenance-preventative, restoration-preventative sort of model. Once depression kicks in, once those symptoms become manifest, we're probably already there. I'll go back to medicine. Medicine can help, but as the article points out in this particular study— the medicine wasn't even as good as the CBT, or once again, the talking therapy part, or at least the self-talking therapy part. Talk to others, talk to your psychological counselor, but also talk to yourself in this constructive sort of way. That helps, <laughs> not only in terms of facilitating sleep, but in the end, that's The only way you're going to prevent even then the progression of this as it turns into more and more emotional problems, difficulties as within the disease model, the diagnosis of a clinical condition as with the disease, and then arrest possibly the progression of that to the point that later on in life... You may have difficulties. Now, the article didn't say that. But I do think, though, that a lifetime of not only stress, but poor processing, maybe lack of awareness of good health and good mental health, or at least the hygiene of that, those things that are necessary to uh, keep that ledger balanced, to not let things or allow things to backlog, to take care of your body physically certainly food is important, but also eating and sleeping then and digestion, all of that as it would go to core health or autoimmune function. That becomes the goal. That's the stellar mark. That's the highest mark of uh, health and wellness. And, And should that then become something that's compromised get help Uh, we do the podcast to inform you Uh, the podcasts aren't intentioned to tell you what to do to do but it's to at least help you to understand how to know if you need to do something and with that then seek out the medical as well as the psychological or the counseling sort of solutions And there's many of them that are available as far as resource. And I don't want to jump to even that once more too soon. Just take advantage of your support system. Take advantage of principles of (laughs) self-care. Just realize you need to take care of yourself, which includes what you eat and your ability to sleep and your ability to manage the physical demands of your day-to-day life. And should stress be adding to those demands, then maybe just learning how to better manage your overall stress levels by trying to change or make some life changes, which is, again, a good reason to maybe talk to someone such as myself who would be able to give you some sort of feedback or help you to maybe see it more objectively or, as again with the podcast, could add some extra dimension of education or knowledge that you may not possess. So, the article A New Approach to Late Life Depression, <laughs> Early Life, Midlife Depression, in a general sort of way, sleep. And if you're not sleeping well, get some help, which may include cognitive behavior therapy. Treating insomnia and education, sleep hygiene, sleep education therapy. Treating insomnia could help stave off depression in older adults, but as we pointed out on the podcast today, it doesn't have to be just older adults. (laughs) Treating insomnia helps stave off depression in adults, youth, (laughs) teenagers. We all need sleep. So, I would agree with the article. And, once again, you can find this in Psychology Today, April of 2022. And the author is Jennifer Reed, M.D. With that thought in mind, I hope that you appreciate its benefit to you. The podcast, and should you appreciate it, would want to invite you back for our next podcast of Word with Dave Clay. And, once again... As always, I want to wish you not only good health, but good mental health.